Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. of giant killers. We're talking about raising giant killers. Amen. Raising godly children. Raising children in our home that fear the Lord and that can take out the enemy in their life. Right? And this is so important. This scripture right here. 1 Samuel 2 verse 22. It says, Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all of the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. If you can't say amen this morning, say ouch. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning that your word would penetrate our hearts, would penetrate our minds, that we would rejoice in learning and growing from your word, that we would rejoice in whatever it gives us, whatever it brings us, whatever it reveals to us, God, that it molds us and shapes us. Lord, help us to be good leaders, to be good parents, to be good role models and influences for children around us. We thank you for it. We believe you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, worship team. You guys are amazing. God bless you. In Israel, Eli is someone who is respected. If you want to compare him to someone, compare him to me. He was, in all of accounts, uh, kind of like a pastor. He was responsible for the health, a spiritual health and well-being of his village and people around him. Uh, he would have been someone that would sit at the top of the city gates and would be, you know, looked to for advice and wisdom and all of these things, right? Eli is one of those figures. He's a spiritual figure. God has anointed him and his sons to be priests over Israel, which was a very important and high calling. Along with it came a lot of rules, right? There were a lot of rules for priests. There were a lot of rules that they could and could not do, things they had to touch and could not touch. And how they treated the offering, how they treated the sacrifice. And it was all a picture of what was to come, of course, later on in the Bible. Everything is always a foreshadow. It's always a picture. But it's so interesting. Eli, being a leader, being a man of God, had two sons that were extremely corrupt. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. And basically the summary of their life 
was summed up in uh, scriptures before the ones we read. In verse 12, it said that Eli's sons were scoundrels. That's how the Bible describes them. They were just scoundrels. There was really nothing good about them. They did not respect God. They didn't respect his house. They didn't respect Eli. They didn't respect authority. They did whatever they wanted. And they basically used the temple as a place to steal money and pick up girls. That's, that's what they used the temple for. It was disgusting. And so, you see this. It's kind of a, it's kind of a theme amongst godly leaders in the Bible. It's an unfortunate theme, but nevertheless, it's a theme. You look at Eli, two sons, completely disillusioned from the truth, not serving God. And then you kind of fast forward and you look at David, who was, by all accounts, one of the greatest kings Israel has ever had. By all accounts, one of the greatest men of God that you'll ever read about in the Bible. I mean, we look to David as like the, the, the bedrock of what it means to worship God, to live for God, right? Like we look at him, he's such an example, and yet he was horrible at raising kids. There was so much drama, I mean, it's just almost too much to even get into. I mean, it, it was pretty dramatic what happened to his kids. In fact, one of his own sons named Absalom hated him so much, hated his own father, hated David so much, he tried to take the kingdom from him and tried to kill him. The Bible talks about Absalom's arrogance and how he had really long hair. And one day he was chasing after his father and his hair was so long and so big, he got caught in a tree and he ended up, you know, his horse flew out from under him. He got caught in a tree, ended up hanging there and died. I mean, there was so much that happened in David's family. Some of his own children just, I mean, I, I don't even want to get into it. It was bad. If you want to go learn some stuff, maybe it's a picture of your own family. You might want to go read the story of David's family. It gets pretty, it gets pretty intense. It gets pretty insane. All the while, David's king. He's this man of God. He's this warrior. He's this leader. He's this great person, right? But his household is in ruins. And then finally, he does something right with Solomon. And he trains up Solomon. And he dedicates Solomon to the Lord and he does his best with Solomon, right? But eventually Solomon himself, when he becomes king, at first he starts off strong. He starts off, you know, I don't want riches, God. I don't want money. I don't want all this fame. I just want wisdom. Can you give me wisdom? So God gave him wisdom and he gave him the money. Well, what ended up happening is the enemy set a trap for Solomon and he fell in love with too many women. He had a thousand wives. And that was his downfall. And God warned him about this and he kept doing it anyways. But it was a cycle in David's family where leaders, leaders were basically cut off by not respecting the truth. And so you have Eli who raised sons and didn't do so well at it. 
but yet he was a godly leader. You had David, who was an amazing godly leader, but yet he was no good at raising sons, no good at raising children. And unfortunately, I could go on and on about people in the Bible who were public successes, but private failures. I'm going to say that again. There was many people in the Bible who were public successes, but private failures. And my prayer for us, my prayer for all of us, is that regardless of what you have given your life to, I spoke about business earlier. If you've started a business, you know how hard that is. You know what kind of grind you have to put out every single day. What kind of energy. There's several of you in here that you work on your business every single day. And you know the, the mental struggle it takes and the physical struggle it takes. But in all that you're doing, don't forget your home. I'll say it like this keep the house of God a priority and I'm not just saying that as a pastor who wants to see more people in church <laughs> because it, it feels better when there's people here no 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 I'm saying that because that's how my life stayed on track my parents made a priority of the house of God every Sunday there was no negotiation. We did not get a day off on Sunday. We did not get to take a day off on Sunday. Now, I mean, literally, I can... Mm, let me go there. Here we go. Got to straighten myself out here. We'd be in church, and, you know, back then we had the big old pews, right, where you could fit like 20 people in a pew. And so our whole family would be sitting there, right? I got my, my two sisters, me, and, and my mom and my dad. If any one of us... If any one of us fell asleep during church, my dad had this big old ring, his class ring from high school. He graduated from Burbank High School in San Antonio. The high school mascot was a bulldog, okay? And so guess what was on the ring? Big old bulldog, right? And so if you fell asleep, if you fell asleep during church and he saw your head nodding off, Guess what was getting on that back of that head? Right there, big old bulldog just slapping the back of the head. Uh, you woke up real fast, homeboy. You learned not to fall asleep during church. But I remember from the time I was a child, man, I think I was, a, I was like two months old in the womb and I could hear the music. My parents never, ever missed church. And I was raised that way. I just understood Sundays was a day we go and celebrate God. Whether I wanted to or not. They did not give me the option. All the way till I graduated high school and I had my own car. They did not give me no option. Oh, you better be in church or we're taking your keys. I mean, there was no choice. God's house was a priority. And they knew they were just too blessed not to go praise God about it. But on the flip side, if you've got all of this drama in your life, you're too stressed not to go give it to God on Sunday. So regardless of where you're at in life, you've got to make the house of God 
the priority. Mm, I'm going to say it all again. Don't you worry, my sister. I'm going to say it all again. Don't be like Eli and David and countless other leaders in the Bible. Don't be like these guys who gave all their attention and all of their best to what God called them to do that they forgot about the ones at home. I'm going to say it like this. While you're building your life, don't forget to build up the ones you gave life to. While you're out there building your life. Because that's what we do. We're Americans, man. We have the American dream buried deep in our heart. We believe we can do anything, right? And so we go out. We work hard. We bust our butt. We do whatever it takes to make it happen. And we build it up. We build our life. We build our bank accounts. And we build everything up. We get a house. We get the car. We do what we're supposed to do, right? And, and we're trying to do best for our family. But while you're building your life. Don't forget to build up the ones you gave life to. Because at the end of the day, that's what God's going to hold you accountable for. He's not going to hold you accountable for how successful is your 401k this year. He's not going to hold you accountable for that. He's going to hold you accountable. So how much time did you spend with your children? How much did you teach them about my word? How much... How many times did you take them to church? How many times did you get them into my presence? Parents. Those of you who are already parents. You are the representation of Christ in your home. God does not expect you to be perfect. But he expects you to be present. He expects you to be present at home. He expects you to be present in his house too. Be present at home. Be present at the baseball games. Even if you hate baseball. And most importantly, be present at church. The people who are most in danger of losing their family... are the ones who don't attend church on Sunday mornings. And I'm talking about just on a statistic level. Not just, you know, because I want you here. That's a statistic. It's documented, it's proven over and over and over again that people who attend church, people who make some sort of spiritual thing a priority in their life are generally more happy and their family stays closer together. It's just in the statistics. Let's talk about another angle. Proverbs 27, verse 7. It says this. A person who is full refuses honey. But even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. Oof. I read this and I said, okay, I need to chew on this for a little bit. It took me like a week of just thinking about this scripture. But it's actually pretty plain. It's actually pretty 
pretty straightforward. There's no real deep hidden meaning in this scripture. It is what it is. It says what it says. When you're full of stuff that don't belong in your life, you don't even want the good stuff. But man, even the bad stuff tastes good when you're hungry. Even the stuff you don't like tastes good. How many of you have ever been like truly, truly starving? Okay. I'm talking like, man, you haven't eaten. I, I've been on a fast before. I know it don't look like it. Don't judge me. Why are you laughing? I know it don't look like it. But I've been on an extended fast before. I know what it is to literally not eat anything. To just drink water or just drink juice. It is difficult. It's hard. I know what it feels like to feel like you're starving. And man, I would have ate. I really, I really, I really hate. Mm, mm, I really hate pimento cheese, okay? There's just something about pimento cheese. Anybody feel me on that? Yeah, okay. There's just something about it like... Who puts that junk inside cheese? Like, why are you destroying cheese like that? It's disgusting. I hate pimento cheese with a passion. Leanne Isom, if you're watching, nah, get rid of it. I hate pimento cheese. It is the spawn of Satan. But man, during a 40-day fast with no food, I'd gobble up me some pimento cheese. Because even the bitter stuff is good when you're hungry. But man, when you're full, like how I'm going to be tonight when the Cowboys beat the Rams after I eat my steak and watch the game. and <laughs> Hallelujah, God's a Cowboys fan. Um, after tonight, when I'm full, I don't even care if you put cheesecake in front of me. I'm probably going to be too full to eat that junk. I don't want it. I love scriptures about food. It's so heavenly, you know. I can only imagine next to my mansion, there's going to be like on the left, a taco stand. On the right, a 24-7 pizza place. And behind me, going to be two water burgers just getting ready all the time. You know, you know, that's just how I roll. This scripture, though, just reminds me. Of something Jesus said in, in the Beatitudes in John 5. He said, those who recognize their need for me will inherit the kingdom of God. Oof. There's something about knowing your needs that is so important. There's something about knowing what you need. When someone is going through a traumatic experience, when someone is dealing with something very emotional, something very heavy and hard, oftentimes they don't know what they need in that moment. And it is so vitally important to know your needs. What am I saying? You need the presence of God in your life like you need air. You need the presence of God in your children's life like they need air. 
You need them around godly people like they need air. You got to have it. You can't live without it. Because when you start pulling away, when you start pulling out of that environment, when you start pulling away from that as a priority, guess what begins to happen? You begin to starve yourself. And all of a sudden, pimento cheese sounds good. All the stuff you know you hate, it just sounds good. And you start shoving anything in your mouth. You start consuming anything. You know, there's, there's something about what you consume. And when you get away from the truth, when you get away from what's feeding you spiritually, you'll start just consuming anything to make yourself feel better. You've got to know your needs. You've got to know where God needs you as well. I can't stress this enough. When I was a kid, I'm going to tell you some crazy stories, okay? Y'all ready for some crazy stories? Okay, one person. Man, y'all need to wake up. Y'all ready for some crazy stories or not? Okay, 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 okay. When I was a kid, I saw some crazy stuff. It was funny because before uh, worship rehearsal, Gilbert was talking about, you know, his old churches and stuff like that and just some funny stuff that would happen. I've been around. I've seen some stuff. Okay. I've been around the guys that, you know, they'll throw their jacket on you so you can fall over. <laughs> you know, like I've been around that stuff. I remember growing up being in a church. Uh, maybe some of you can relate. But I remember growing up being in a church and they would have like a guest minister come. And, and this guest minister was like, I've got gold dust on my hands. You know, <laughs> like, and it, it was just funny. I was like, what in the world? I was a child, man. I was young, you know, and I'm like, what is happening there's gold on her hands. And so everybody in the whole church would just kind of make their way. And she'd just be standing there. And you'd see the gold on her hands. And then I remember the next time she came. And uh, it was, you know, a little different. This time she had oil coming out of her hands, right? It was like, what is, what is going on? There's oil coming out of her hands. And so they'd have like buckets there. And it's catching the oil. And I remember as a kid going, man, this stuff is, is fake. You know, this is this ain't real. This is fake. And I would just remember, though, besides of whether it was fake or, or not, what I do remember is during worship, during praise, I remember the presence of God. I also remember this. Fast forward several years when we went to a more traditional church when you didn't see any of that stuff. We went to Cornerstone Church. And I'm young, right? I would remember thinking, because I started to kind of understand a little more. My mind started to grow up a little more. And I started to think that I knew better and that I knew more and all this stuff. And I remember sitting in church going, ah, God's not real. I'd be in church, y'all. My parents are Christians. I'm going to private Christian school, reading the Bible every day, sitting in church and saying, God's not real. Can you imagine when your kid's not in church, what they think? That was me, in church, reading the Bible every day, 
parents never miss a Sunday and I still believe God didn't exist. That was a church kid in me. So can you imagine what kids think when they never step foot inside of a church? They're so unaware of what's true and what's not true. And so I remember that one day I'm sitting in church saying the words in my head, God's not real. And then they had a special singer come up. Anybody remember those specials? Right? Remember the specials where you had the special singer? Anybody know what I'm talking about? He had the special singer come. And I remember the praise and worship was over, but then they had the special singer come up. And this dude, this brother got down. I mean, he was good. And I remember they start playing that track. He said, hit it, right? They start playing that track, right? It's just a, a backing track. He starts singing. And all of a sudden, I started to feel something I never felt before. And I look back now and I know that it was the Holy Spirit. I know that it's the Holy Spirit now. But as a kid, I was just like, whoa. And I kid you not, I'm probably 10 years old. And I recognize the weight of my sin in that moment. And I recognize that's God. My mind is telling me God's not real. But that chair, I couldn't move. I felt the weight of my sin on me. I felt the presence of God all around me. And as soon as the guy was done singing, everybody clapped. They move on to the next part of the service. It went away. And I said, oh, thank God. I felt safe after that. Like, oh, okay, he's not here no more. There was something about being in church on Sundays when I started to revere God while I also believed he didn't exist. Let that sink in. As a church kid, as someone who never missed a Sunday, I know what it's like to get disillusioned by the church. I've seen some nasty stuff. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've seen the fallen leaders. I've seen a lot. But through it all, God's presence never left. And you might think, because we've had a lot of bad examples. I mean, look at Eli, look at David. You might think, that, oh, I don't want to expose my kid to something that may hurt them. And, you know, it, it can get painful sometimes. The church is not perfect. We make mistakes just like anybody else. And you might think that there's a risk there, but I'm telling you the risk is far greater by not having them in church. Because had I not had that instilled in me as a young person, when I got older, I would have not been able to stand on my own two feet. I remember growing up, always battling faith, always battling the reality of God, always battling 
if he was real, but then I would feel him, and then, well, then why does he go away? And I would have all these questions and have all these thoughts, but I'd keep it to myself, you know. I'd just go to church like I was supposed to, you know. But I remember the day that God rescued me from my own mentality. My parents had started a church. <laughs> I went from being raised in church to all of a sudden I'm a junior in high school and they decided to start a church. Like, that's weird. And not just any church. One of those kicks out of my Honda churches. You know, like crazy church. We'd be there four or five hours, no lie. Okay? Like we went from crazy oil dripping out of people's hands to very traditional hymnal, amen, Sunday morning, back to, hey! <laughs> I was like, man, this is wild. I'm a junior in high school. My parents started church. And I don't know how to take it. But I remember one day in their kitchen, I'm trying to study, you know, trying to study. And I hear, yeah, because we were, we were those kind of people on the intercom. They're yelling at me, Matt, come to the kitchen. We had an intercom system in our house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Intercom. Matt, come to the kitchen. And I'm like, what in the world? It's like, there better be food. <laughs> you know, I get to the kitchen and there's like people laying on the floor. And my parents have oil in their hands, not because it's dripping, <laughs> but because they rub some oil and they start to pray for me. And I'm like, what are you doing? But I remember being prayed for and I remember my parents prophesying over me. And I remember the people who were in the room. And my first thought after it was over and I went back to my room is like, I think these people are going to start a church. They're crazy. Sure enough, my parents go to Israel. They come back from Israel and they tell me, we're going to start a church. I'm like, great. They find their little property in some little piece of land with a tiny house on it that smelled really funky. It was built in like the 1800s. And they start church in there. And I remember walking in there for the first time and I was absolutely floored by the presence of God. I'm not even a Christian yet. I'm not even following Jesus yet. And I remember walking into that building and feeling like, I have to get out of here. But they have church for four hours, so I couldn't really leave. So I'm there, just trying. There's like five people there, you know. It's like my me, my parents, and like two other people. And I'm like, what is going on? And they're just praying, and they're just playing music, and they're just worshiping for hours. I'm not even talking. There's a worship leader. No, no, it's just a CD on repeat for hours. My dad gets up to preach, sort of, and it was like, um. Bible's good. Let's get back into worship. Like he didn't even know how to preach. This was the church we started. And I was like, what's happening? What's going on? Man, as soon as service is over, 
I get in my truck and I speed out of that driveway as fast as possible, blaring Foo Fighters as loud as I can blare it. Anybody feel me? You know? I mean, I'm just like, oh, I gotta get this off me. Whatever this is, it's gotta go. Like, I'm trying to expel the demon of church off me, you know? Where did I learn that? And I'm wrestling. And I wrestle for a good year. I end up in a horrible relationship with someone that I should have never gotten a relationship with. It was very toxic. And I remember being in that person's apartment and hearing voices and feeling tormented and feeling like there was stuff on me. And I could almost feel things pulling at me. I could almost feel like literal chains on my back. And I began to just stand there and cry and I didn't know what was going on. And the only thing I could imagine was that it was the devil. That's the only thing that made sense because as I grew up in church, I understood there was a spirit world. I understood that there was demons. I understood that there were angels and you cannot see them, but they're there. And I felt them. And I felt the war all around me for my soul. And I finally remember one day Everything that I was hiding about my life got exposed in an instant. Everything that I tried to conceal. Every, I'm a senior in high school. And I was doing all sorts of stupid stuff that I was trying to hide. And my parents figured it out. They found out. I got exposed. And I was thankful. I was thankful. Because I didn't have to hide anymore. Because I didn't have to pretend anymore. Because I was in pain and I didn't want to admit it. I was hurting and I didn't want to admit it. I was in fear and I didn't want to admit it. And so I was thankful when my sin got found out. It was a relief. Anybody ever been in so deep that you were actually relieved that God pulled you out of that mess? That's where I was. And I remember walking into the church. No one's there but me and my dad. No one's there. And he puts on that CD. And he starts praying for me. And man, did it get ugly. All that garbage that I'd been holding in. All the toxicity of everything that I tried to medicate with to try and tell myself that God didn't love me and that he wasn't real. It began to leave. It began to just disappear. It began to dissolve. And I would, I literally from that moment, I started seeing visions. I started having dreams. And I dream like crazy to this day. So much so, you can ask my wife, I have to change my alarm clock sound because it starts becoming a part of my dream. Like it just, it's a part of it now. So I don't ever wake up anymore. It's just like, oh, that song, that just, it's a part of my dream. It's always there. I have to change it because she's trying to wake me up for 45 minutes and I don't wake up. That's how heavy of a sleeper and dreamer I am. It's just a part of my dreams now. Like I, from that day on, 
two things have always been constant. The presence of God in dreams and visions. It was a dream and a vision that brought us over here to Corpus. That told us to sell our home. Move to a little tiny ranch. And then God spoke to us there on how to get over here. Like that's what got us here. And it was always the presence of God pushing us that, those directions. I'm telling you all this because it started when I was a baby in my mother's womb. Worship team, if you can come back up. I want you to turn to Luke 138. Luke 138. It says this. It says, Mary responded. Remember this scripture from last week? When, when the angel came to her and said, you're going to be carrying the Son of God. And this is the scripture we read last week. It says, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. And then this is what it says after that scripture that we did not read last week. It says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth is her sister. This is Mary's sister. At the sound, listen to this, focus, pay attention. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. Mary, pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth, her sister, pregnant with John the Baptist, who if you didn't know is Jesus' cousin. They're pregnant at the same time. Okay, Mary and Elizabeth just say hi to each other. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist, leaps within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. For those people out there who don't believe the Holy Spirit was around before the day of Pentecost, here it is. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? She had an, in, an interruption in her life where immediately she knew that's Jesus inside of Mary's tummy. That is our Savior. He's not even born yet. And she recognized, my sister is carrying my Lord. Verse 44, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said. Y'all can play. What am I saying? When Jesus was in the womb, when John the Baptist was in the womb, they both could experience, hear, and feel each other through the Holy Spirit.
Let that sink in for a second. You think kids can't understand? Maybe not mentally, but spiritually it's happening. Do you think that it's not important that they get around the presence of God? Let me tell you something. It's extremely important, parents, that you keep them in the presence of God. Because even in the womb, there was an understanding of who Jesus was. Let that sink in. Even in the womb, those around Jesus sensed who he was. People are saying right now that we just might lose America. That we just might lose this generation to, according to the gospel. Like they just may not hear what they're supposed to hear. Churches are shut down all over the nation. So many people with so much hate. So many voices, so many opinions. And I'm telling you, man, what is the answer when a generation is faced with nothing but wickedness? The answer is and always will be to keep them in the presence of Jesus. This may sound simple, but if it was easy, why does the devil fight you so hard on Sunday mornings? How many of you, on Sunday mornings, that's when the fights break out? That's when the car wants to act up. That's when the dog wants to throw up all over the floor, all over the place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you on Sunday mornings, that's when things just get weird? It happens here too. We've seen a lot of that, right? Sunday morning, it's Sunday. What do you expect? Like, things are going to go weird, you know? Work all week. Sunday morning. Yeah, not so much. There's something about being together in the house of God. There's something about bringing families together under the banner of Christ that removes all the fear, all the frustration, all the heaviness. But most importantly, man, you're setting a standard for your home. You're setting a standard for your kids. No church is not negotiable. Because the presence of God should never be negotiable. What's the answer? What's the answer? Even when you got a kid like me growing up in church all his life, knows the Bible inside and out, what's the answer for that kid who thinks they know it all, who thinks they have all the answers? What's the answer for that kid? It's still the presence of God. Because it wasn't a sermon that got me. It wasn't a sermon that rescued me. I've, I've heard it all. Trust me. I've heard it all. You know what got me? It was the love of Jesus that just rushed into my life and just began to tell me you don't even know who you are yet. 
Let me show you. A sermon never showed me who I was. I'll say this and then we can worship. Let's, let's stand. Last story, I promise. I remember as a young teenager, I remember going to youth group and I just went for the pizza and the girls. I mean, that's why I went, you know. Why else do you go to youth group when you're a teenager, right? I mean, that's, that's what I was there for. And then we got to play basketball, you know. Uh, Cornerstone Church, man, is a massive church. I mean, we had our own basketball courts, like nice basketball courts. Um, huge room with like, I mean, way bigger than this. Bigger sound system lights. Like, it was just everything you could ask for, you know, for a youth ministry they had. But I didn't show up for that. I showed up for the pizza and for the girls, you know. And I'll never forget my youth pastor, Pastor Warren Beamer, who's still pastoring to this day. He's got a church in San Antonio. And he would see me rolling up because I'd drive up in my truck, park, get out. First thing I hear, hey, Gomez, what's up, Gomez? Come over here. And he knew it wasn't a secret that I wasn't there for God, you know. And I just remember him loving on me, just hugging me, just telling me, hey man, one day, one day, you're going to see your purpose. I, I remember some of his sermons, I don't remember all of them. He was an excellent preacher. But his sermons never got me. I know. I know. That my sermons aren't going to do the work on you. My sermon is just a vehicle. To get the engine going. The presence of God does the work. I know that I'm just here to deliver the word. But it's the presence of God that does the work. So I'm growing up in youth ministry in high school. And then one day the youth group gets so big that they had to go and buy a huge tent that seats like a thousand. It's a massive tent. And they even built a cement pad for it. They got outdoor everything, outdoor uh, sound equipment, lighting, outdoor speakers, like projectors. Everything was just equipped to be outdoors. You know how it is in San Antonio, Texas. It's like here. It's hot. It's humid. And next thing you know, it's freezing. It's weird. You know, and that tent, I remember driving up to that tent, sitting in that service and saying, Psh, God's not real. This is fake. I would say those words under that tent. This is all fake. Fast forward. I have my encounter with Jesus. I get saved. I come here to Corpus Christi to college at A&M. 
spent a couple of years here. I'm serving at a church in Kingsville. I'm bouncing around between Kingsville, Corpus, Furious, all these little places. I end up back in San Antonio to go work as a youth pastor at my dad's church. Remember that little tiny church with three people in it? Yeah, he grew that joker and bought a building and he said, I need a youth pastor. I need you to come home and, you know, do music, do youth, all that good stuff. Get us to the new age of technology. Help us get on TV, all that good stuff. So I learned all that stuff there. And I remember the first couple months I was there. My dad knocks on my door and he says, hey, I need you to come outside and help us real quick. I said, what's up? He said, we bought something and I need help. Like just kind of showing the guys where to park and all that. You know what it was? It was the tent. He bought the tent that I used to curse God in. He bought it from Cornerstone. Brought it onto our property and set it up so we could have revival meetings. You know, like the old school revival meetings. And I was like, man, ain't that some ironic junk? That's the same tent. Next thing you know, I'm leading worship under that tent. <laughs> I'm preaching to youth under that tent. Next thing you know, guess who gets up on top of the tent to fix it when stuff is breaking? This guy. You can curse God all you want. But there will be a day coming where he's going to get the last word. Let me tell you something. Who can make that junk up? And there I was for years. Leading worship, preaching to young people in that tent. The same tent I used to tell God that he wasn't real in. I remember one day I called up my old youth pastor. I said, hey, guess what? Remember that big old tent you had? <laughs> He's like, uh, yeah. I was like, yeah, we got it. And he just starts laughing because he knew. He knew. He said, Matt, that's how God works. He said, he's going to show you over and over and over again how he works. And I'll close with this. Third closing. I'm right on time. There was a youth ministry in Alabama called The Ramp in this tiny little town in Hamilton, Alabama. And their youth ministry had got so big that the fire marshals came in and kept shutting them down because there was too many kids in the building. They didn't even have chairs, y'all. Because they would just pack them in and make them sit whenever it was time to sit. They just didn't, they didn't have room for chairs. I took my youth group out there. We drove in the sleet and the snow to get to Alabama one, one winter for their winter conference. We spent three days praying over there. That's all we did. We prayed from the day, the two days before New Year's Eve and we prayed through New Year's Eve. And we were just there 
just worshiping God. 1,200 kids in a room and a bunch of youth pastors just praying to Jesus. That was it. That was the whole purpose. We were there. No other purpose. And I remember coming back home and like, man, they really need a, a solution. <laughs> so we got the wild idea because we were kind of burnt out on the tent. It was a lot of work. Oh my gosh, that thing was a lot of work. It, it took a lot of maintenance. And I said, Dad, why don't we give it to the ramp so they can have outdoor services or overflow or whatever they want to do. Like, we can just give it to them. He's like, Matt, if they'll come pick it up, we'll give it to them. I called them up. Man, they're there in a week. And we got to bless that ministry with that tent. And I look back and I'm like, Man, there's still young people under that tent probably telling God, you're not real. And God is going to use whatever he wants to use to get their attention. I'm telling you, don't skip a Sunday. Because it was that kind of repetition in my life that kept me the Bible says, train up a child in the way that they should go. When they are older, they will not depart. Because there will be a day when they have to confront the presence of God in their life. And there will be a day when Jesus comes and talks to them. There will be a day when they have an encounter. And when they do, they'll remember. It'll all start to flood back in. When I got saved, man, all of a sudden the scripture just became brighter. It just made sense. All the stuff that I questioned and I said, nah, this ain't real. What does that even mean? All of a sudden, it didn't matter how much I knew about it, how many essays I wrote about it. What, all of a sudden, the presence of God illuminated the scripture to me. I understood it. It began to speak to me. It began to change me. It began to mold me. And it was because it was embedded deep in my heart because I was in church every single Sunday my whole life. And now, I get the privilege of preaching the same scripture that I used to think was a hoax. Only God can do that. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.